welcome. Hey, take your time finding your seats. It's a bit of an extended meet and greet there. Want to set folks up for success with Promotion Sunday. The other thing too is if you're here and you're in junior high, you're supposed to transition out. We love you, you're welcome to stay, but as long as you know, you have that option. Well guys, here's what I want to do. Before we jump into the continuing in our series in the book of Philippians, I'd ask, if you're here, man, you have a faith, join me in a moment of prayer and then we'll get started. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the gift, for the privilege of a gathering like this where we can come together, those who love you, those who are working through loving you, and those who don't yet know you, but you're gonna change their heart. God, I'd ask that you do what only you can do, and that is change hearts, which help people who love you to grow in a deeper love. May I leave here differently, more faithful, more obedient, hating sin, loving you more. Would you do the same thing for your people? If you're here, I'd ask that you just take the next 10 seconds and pray that God would use this time to be helpful to you. If you would, take another 10 seconds and, and pray for me. Pray that I would be faithful. Lord, we love you. We give you this time and we thank you for the gift. It's in your name that we pray, amen. Well guys, as I shared, if you're joining us for the first time, we've been working our way through the book of Philippians. It's been this amazing book encompassing the sense of joy and purpose and everything that God intends. But before we jump into kind of what we're gonna look at today, I wanna ask you guys a question. Has anyone here ever heard of Miss Carolina 2007. Anybody here ever heard of Miss Carolina? All right, I think you will at the end of this. Anyone ever heard of someone going and attempting to become Miss Universe and having an issue when it came to talking about maps? Wow, you guys are so faithful. None of y'all watch dumb TV. Okay, well, that's grateful to know. You're all gonna leave here discouraged by me. Okay, a couple honest people are like, yeah, I saw it, I'll be honest. Right, well hey, here's what I wanna show you. There's this gal who's competing for Miss Universe. She had won Miss South Carolina. She's asked a question and pretty much it goes, I guess it could have gone worse, but this sweet girl, your heart's gonna feel both like pity and embarrassment at the same time, all the while hoping, and I'm gonna give y'all permission, laughter. So if y'all will, watch this with me. It's just about 45 seconds and then we'll come back. because uh, some people out there in our nation they should, uh, our education over here in the U.S. should help the U.S. or should help South Africa and should help the Iraq and the Asian countries so we will be able to build up our future for our children. Thank you very much, South Carolina.
all had those moments where we go to get a question and then we kind of fumble over it. The best part, though, is she's referencing like U.S. Americans becomes the adjective. And she says the Iraq. And all of a sudden we're buying maps for South Africa and other countries <laughs> such as. Like the whole time there, my favorite part is like Mario Lopez is just holding that. And like on the inside, he's got to be like, oh, sweet girl. <laughs> oh, sweet, sweet girl. No, I, I share that. Like once you see that, maybe you're more familiar with it or you can remember laughing about it years ago, right? But here's what happened. Like that girl became famous. Like she absolutely became famous, but for all the wrong reasons. Like her fame came through the honest word there. Like what I would feel if that was me and I'd kind of fumbled through it, I had a hard time. We'll give her the benefit of the doubt that she totally knew how to answer that. She just got stuck in her own head, all that kind of stuff. I would feel humiliation. But here's the thing, guys, like we're here plus 10 years later, we're looking at it. I can remember laughing at it then, and I've laughed at it repeatedly since. Like there's like a notoriety and a famousness that comes, but no one in this room would say, I'll take her fame at that cost, right? No one would say, hey, I'll take her fame for that humiliation. If you would, I'd love to talk to you afterwards. Like you can come see me at the end of the service. But it's one of those where you got to see there's this platform that came through humiliation. Like, and we laugh about it, none of us would ever want it, but here's what's amazing. Like, here, here's where I'm gonna switch it. You call this, like, if you run in Christian circles, like a Jesus juke. That's what I'm about to do. That's absolutely what's at the core of our faith. There was a notoriety, there was a fame. There was a glory that came to Jesus Christ. And you know what it cost him? Humiliation. Absolute humiliation. What was it like someone asking you a question about maps? No, nothing like that. It was far more. Was it embarrassing? Yes. But was it degrading? Absolutely. Was it the exchanging of one thing for another to where God became man. Yes. I think that's fascinating because what we're going to see is it's at the core of the text. It's at the core of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But why it's fascinating is we do anything we can to avoid humiliation. Right? Who here loves karaoke? I don't. I'm doing this to like encourage people. Okay, there's one person. That's awesome. Right? I do not. Who here hates karaoke? Yeah, who here would sing karaoke if they drank too much, but they won't admit that because we're Christians? <laughs> yeah, there's our honest crowd. I do not encourage drunkenness. <laughs> not even a little bit, you sinners. <laughs> right, but it's one of those where, like, the fear of karaoke, we get invited to a party where there's karaoke, we don't even go. Right, we just avoid it entirely. And karaoke is just one example of how we go through life, like, the way we dress, Right? Uh, skincare products that we'll use will literally invest tremendous amounts of money into unproven skincare products that seem anti-aging because we are embarrassed of wrinkles. Right? We go to extreme lengths to avoid humiliation. And here's what's amazing. Jesus Christ went to extreme lengths to embrace humiliation. When I say humiliation, I don't just mean, though, embarrassment. 
Like, I, I don't just mean shame. Right, it's actually a theological term when applied to Jesus Christ that's meant to mean so much more than that. Was the shame of dying on a cross embarrassing? Absolutely. But when we talk about humiliation for the king, it's far different. There's the, uh, the Westminster, the, the shorter catechism, a catechism, it's basically just like a faith statement that people put together. It describes the humiliation of Christ. It says, Christ's humiliation consisted in his being born. That in a low condition, made under the law, undergoing the miseries of this life, the wrath of God and the cursed death of the cross, in being buried and continuing under the power of death for a time. Like what's foundational to Christianity is the one that we worship, the Messiah, the King, the glorious one at whom we will bow before. Before we bow, he first had to be humiliated. And he chose it. Today, where we are in the text, here's what I want to talk about. The cost of our salvation, like if you're here and you're a Christian, like the cost of you spending eternity with God, the price that had to be paid was Christ's humiliation. Our salvation for his humiliation. Where we'll see that is in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at four verses, verses 5 through 8. And as we see, it was our salvation for his humiliation. The first thing we were going to look at is the first thing was he was the form of God. Jesus Christ was not the lesser God, a demigod. He was a God, a very God. You can't understand humiliation like being brought down here until you really understand where he came from up here. And the amazing part, it's so mysterious, I, I don't even know how to fully explain it. He was the form of God. What did the form of God do? He took on the form of a servant. What did the form of a servant come to do? Embrace a form of death. And as we will see, even death on a cross. Where we are in Philippians chapter 2, you could really teach verses 1 through 11 in just one talk because it's this whole context of a call for unity. It's demanding of followers of Jesus Christ that there be actual, real unity. My friend Garrison, last week, he he taught on this. There's this famous passage in Philippians chapter 2. It's verses 3 and 4, right? I'll, I'll read it for you here. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. It's this amazing call to selfless, sacrificial humility. He says, consider others more significant. Garrison taught us that there's this formula to joyful unity. It's humble acknowledgement. It's an attitude. It is a disposition of the soul plus a humble action. And what does that equal? Joyful unity. You want to change your friendships? Humble yourself. You want to change your community group? Humble yourself. You want to change your marriage? Humble yourself. You want to change your relationship with your children, still in the house or adult? Humble yourself. There's this amazing key to joyful unity that Paul's pointing out. And then here's what he does. He calls us to this thing that would have been crazy, ridiculous, writing to folks, and he literally says, do nothing from selfish ambition. I think Paul, like us, 
He anticipated people would be like, well, I know I'm supposed to, but that's just kind of crazy. So here's what Paul does. Like any good pastor, he doubles down and he gives us an example. And that's where this text starts. It's going to talk about the humiliation of Christ. And then next week, we're going to talk about how that led to an exaltation of Christ. How because he brought himself low, he will forever be as he always was, made high. The language here, it's almost like a hymn. It's like poetry. So that's what we're going to be. So if you have a Bible, read with me verses 5 through 8. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to come back up and we're going to do 5 and 6 together. Let's read verses 5 through 8, Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I'm going to read again five through six. That's where we're going to start and focus. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. The first setup that Paul has is he has this command. He's like, hey, he's telling you and I, I'm commanding you to have this mind. He's talking about that same attitude, that same disposition, the likeness thereof. Have the mindset of Christ consider others as more significant. And then it's almost like before he gives us an example, he like leans into our soul where he starts to see that you and I would check out and be like, but really, man, if that baby wakes up in the middle of the night, I'm just out waiting my wife to see that she'll get up and go tend to the baby and I just stay in the bed. Can I get an amen from any young families? Bunch of liars. Next week, we're talking about honesty. All right? Right, but it's one of those, he's like saying, do nothing. He said, have this mindset about you. And he says, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's this promise that Christians, we have Christ in us, the Holy Spirit within. And because of that, this is actually possible. We can actually do this. We can follow through. And then he talks about what it means, how Christ gave us that example. And that's where he continues. Who though Jesus was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. As we talk about the reality that our salvation came at the cost of Christ's humiliation, the first thing you have to see in order to understand how someone can be brought low is Paul starts by saying, you gotta remember where he came from. You gotta remember where he came from. The form of God. That's what we're gonna talk about. The form of God here, what it's speaking to, it's the exact existence and nature of. Your Bible may translate it, though he existed as God. Jesus Christ, when he came and embraced humanity, he never left his deity, his godness, for his manness. He was 100% God the entire time. Why? Because he had to live a perfect and a sinless life to pay a perfect sacrifice that we can never pay. He was 100% man, so as he could die and connect with his people thereof. But he started from in the full form of God. Paul, he even doubles down, because sometimes I think with us, the next language there, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. One of the things that's true, especially in Christian churches, 
is there's confusion about the Trinity, right? Anybody grow up in church, when I say Trinity, you're like, I still don't get how God is one and three at the same time. Very theologically minded people. That's phenomenal, <laughs> right? Striking out like three times. I'm gonna stop asking y'all questions, right? But no, there's this truth where there's this truth. Christians believe there is one God. One God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's three attributes that you cannot neglect when it comes to the Trinity. It literally changes Christianity to other faiths. There's unity. There's one God. There's equality. They are all equal in God. Jesus is not the lesser of God. The Holy Spirit is not the forgotten one that no one ever acknowledges and just thinks is some whimsical thing writing poetry. None of that is true. There's a quality throughout. And that's what Christ had. But even though he had a quality, he didn't grasp it. What grasp means there, it means to cling. You guys get that. What Jesus is talking about, or Paul's saying about Jesus, is he had every right, every privilege, every entitlement to the things of God. He did not have to come and be born of a man. He did not have to go through life embracing the pain and the misery and the suffering as what was to come. He didn't have to do that. We didn't deserve that. He did that because he loves us. Like why this matters is two things. One, like theologically, it literally changes our faith. That's why Christians, the Christian faith, true Christian faith and LDS faith, if you understand Mormon doctrine, we are two totally separate teams. Not the same faith. Why? Different Jesus. Totally different Jesus. It's the same reason why Christians and Jehovah's Witness, when you understand the doctrine, two totally different faiths. Why? Different Jesus. It's why my Muslim friends view him as a prophet, not a god. It's why my Jewish friends view him as a teacher, not the Messiah. It's why my Hindu friends call him a God, but not the God. Like when you change the godness of Jesus, you change Christianity. The whole thing pivots. But there's an emotional reason why it matters that, that he came in the form of God. Like the reality that he came in the form of God proves like the psalmist, man, and I wish I'd put this up here. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? The reality that God cared for me. Like that sense of like, no, he did that for me? Like, like he died for me. Like he embraced the cross for me. He died for you because he loves you. God himself allowed mankind to break him on a cross. Why? So that God would never break you. The form of God. I can remember the first time I really stumbled across this. I, I had trusted Christ. It was a couple months later, or shortly thereafter, actually, and I was reading through the book of John, right? And I can remember, I, why was I reading through the book of John? I went to a Bible study. They just said, start in John. So I did. I'd read John before, but I never really connected with it. I never really understood it. And what was different, I now had the Holy Spirit within me. And the Holy Spirit can do something called illumination, brings God's word to life. I'm not saying every time you read your Bible, it's some emotional upheaval. 
but it reveals things. He reveals things, excuse me. I can remember sitting there and I read this famous passage right at the start of the book of John. I'm gonna read it for us. It's verses one through three, John one through three, and then I'm gonna jump down specifically to verse 14. You can flip there or we'll put it up here. John one through three, I'm a new Christian. I remember reading this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So the word is a he. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Okay, now I'm gonna skip down because we gotta identify who is the word. Verse 14. The word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Who was the word? The word was Jesus Christ. I can remember sitting there, and maybe this isn't your view of God, right? I can remember sitting there, reading that, and my entire view of Jesus Christ changed. Because what I thought for the longest time is, man, there's God, and then Jesus is his son slash like errand boy. And God said, go and die on behalf of the people. And Jesus, being like this faithful son, says, okay, God, I love you. I'll do it. That could not be further from the truth. What this shows, and I can remember sitting there, because as soon as I realized this, I I, I was in this kitchen. It was a small house, five guys. We'd rented it out. They were Christians. I was trying to change my life, so I had to change who I hung out with. And so I'm in this kitchen. I'm reading my Bible, and I literally ran into my buddy's room. I ran in there. He and his girlfriend were on the bed. That was a whole other thing. We're not going to talk about that. But I ran in there, and I look at them, and I can remember just saying to them, have you guys read this? And they'd been Christians for a long time. Right? And they looked at me like, yes. And I started just verbally processed. Like in the beginning was the word. He was in the beginning. That means Jesus Christ existed with God in eternity past. He was never created. He was never born of God. He was always God. And in eternity past, when he determined the pinnacle of his glory would come through the cross, the realization of mankind that would reject him, he literally formed creation knowing that creation would curse him. Knowing that for creation, he would have to come and embrace a curse from God. He chose it. He made it. He loves it. It's the same reason why all throughout your Old Testament, like Isaiah chapter six, like you see God on this magnificent throne. You know who the book of John says is in Isaiah chapter six, sitting on that throne? It's Jesus And you're left with, he did that for me. He left that for me. He didn't have to. I was woefully undeserving. And he did it because he loves me. My salvation. His humiliation. But let's keep looking. It was the form of God, but where does he come to next? We're going to just jump straight into verse 7. But he, it's an implied he, But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. The second thing that you have to see is we understand how how Jesus Christ embraced a humiliation was God became man, but he embraced something. He embraced the role of a servant. The second thing I want to talk about is how Jesus Christ embraced the form 
of a servant. This word emptied himself, what it, what it doesn't mean is that when Jesus Christ was born, think like Christmas, think manger. When he was born, he didn't leave behind his deity. He kept it. But what did he embrace? A servant. Imagine that, y'all. Like this word, it literally means bond servant. It's due loss. Your Bible may exchange it for slave. Who did he come to serve? He came to serve the will of God. Who he loved and in unison with him chose in subordination to the call. He chose to serve. You know who else he came to serve? You. Me. I can remember when I trusted Christ right thereafter, I went through a discipleship program that had a high value on memorizing scripture. And there was this passage they put right at the beginning. Some of you may know it. It's kind of like Christian famous Bible verses. It's Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And what did this service look like? To give his life as a ransom for many. Like the reality of part of the reason that Jesus Christ, not leaving deity, but clothing himself in humanity, fully God, fully man, was so we would call him our suffering servant. You see, this is why so many folks were confused by Jesus when he showed up. Because he didn't show up on this stallion coming to conquer Rome to like take over. He came to die for people. He went to the epicenter. He's not going to overthrow governments. He's going to overthrow sin. And he did it as a servant. Imagine like the one person who in every way would have been entitled. It would have been right for him to look at us and just say, bow. He doesn't say that. He looks at us and he says, I came for you and I'll die for you. And as he does that, man, the way you have a relationship with him, because here's what's amazing, is you don't even have to work for it. Like you don't even have to earn it. Right, in fact, if you try to earn it, it shows that you don't have it. But what do we do? We realize I was broken in need of a savior. I was worth abandoning. And he came rescuing. That God, a very God, was born in a manger on my behalf. Because he loves me. The second reason where you got to understand the humiliation of Christ for our salvation is he came and he was a man. Like he was not like a man. He was a man. This is why is I... Uh, Look at this. I, I spent a little time thinking about what did it mean that Jesus Christ was actually a man? Because I think as Christians, we're in trouble when we compromise on the fact he was fully God. And we are in trouble when we compromise on the reality. He was also a man. Here's what your Bible says. He was born of a woman. The virgin birth matters tremendously, by the way. It's a physical demonstration of what theologians would call hypostatic union. Fully God, fully man not compromising either one, 100% God, 100% man. He was born of a woman. He came out crying and screaming like by the grace of God, every other healthy baby. He had a fleshly 
body. When cut, he bled. When pushed, he bruised. When he fell as a child running, I imagine he fell, scraped his knees. He needed the attention and love of his parents from a young age. You see that especially in the book of Luke. Right, here's what's amazing about that. Like, imagine parenting Jesus, right? I'll give you an example. I have a daughter. She's two and a half years old. Her name's Lily. She's a rock star. We are in the middle of potty training. Yeah, you get this. I'm about to go that Jesus had to go through potty training. That's where I'm taking this, right? She's two and a half years old. She is not the Messiah, I promise, right? He was. But man, I'm telling you, we hung out with some friends yesterday, went and watched college football. My daughter ended up peeing on my friend's floor, not once, but twice, to where by the end of it, I just looked at her and I looked at mama and I said, we're just putting on pull-ups, man. We're just going to call it what it is. We're going with pull-ups. Here's the truth, man. Mary, in some way, she potty trained Jesus. He took on the form of humanity. He didn't cut corners. He embraced it. He grew. He grew up. He went through puberty. He grew a beard, something I will never be able to do, right? He grew a beard. He increased in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and men. That's amazing. The true Son of God had love and companionship, yet through his faithfulness even grew in favor with the Father. He was hungry, thirsty, tired, sad, scared. He felt pain. He rejoiced at the faithfulness of his friends. He loved to laugh. He loved to tell stories. He took on the form of a servant. The amazing part about that too, it's the why. Like part of the reason that Jesus came to embrace humanity was so he could have sympathy with us. Like sympathy is in, you ever when you have a good day or a bad day, you want to go tell people who, I'll just say, they get it. Right, they actually get what you're going through. Part of the reason Jesus Christ embraced a servant's life was so he could in a unique way say, I get it. Never in sin, but absolutely with temptation. There's a famous passage, Hebrews 4. I'll just read it here. You don't have to turn. Talking about Christians. For we do not have a high priest. That's talking about Jesus. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Anyone here ever face temptation? All of you raise your hands. All of you. If you're not a Christian, no pressure, but you should. Jesus would have raised his hand. But what I could also ask you guys, and yet who here has had sin? All of us should raise our hand. He wouldn't have to raise his hand to that one. Yet in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Part of the reason he became a servant was so when you had bad days and you cried out to him in prayer, he'd literally have a different form of sympathy to be able to connect with you. For people here, and you're going through like family struggles and family life, part of his living a real life was saying, I get it. Part of you who come and you face food insecurity, financial insecurity, he can literally say, I get it. 
part of us who come and who feel the weight of temptation and we somehow think if I was just more holy, I'd never be tempted, he could say, I get it. That's why I love the verse that follows. The fact he came as a man in order to be able to show I get it is why we as Christians, like when we pray, what do we do? We approach the throne with confidence. My daughter, I hadn't seen her for about 10 days when we we took this trip and she came out of town and she came to see us and she came and I, I, I had to work so it was a later night, she got in, she went to bed. The next morning, there's this moment where she's up and my wife was kind enough, it was a later night, I was gonna sleep in a little bit and there came a point where my daughter Lily thought in her two and a half year old mind, dad's done sleeping and she literally came And she bursts open our door and she goes, Dada! And she just ran and jumped in that bed with me. She didn't care I was asleep. She didn't care I had a late night. She didn't care I was tired. Why? I'm her father. She wanted to be with me. Part of the reason Christ came to be able to say, I get it was so your relationship with him, you'd like burst open the door and you'd run towards faith family. There wouldn't be this timidity, but there'd be a real connection. It's part of the reason he died for you and he died for me. My salvation, your salvation, his humiliation. Let's look at this last section. It's beautiful. Join with me, verse eight. Philippians two, verse eight. And being found in human form, that's just saying, again, he was the form of a servant. It's continuing the theme from the previous verse. And being found in human form, what did he do? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The the third thing that you got to understand in the reality of my salvation came at the cost of Christ's humiliation was the form of death that he took. His willingness to not just leave the throne room, to embrace the manger, to walk and live a life of sinless perfection, to die for a people that killed him, to come back from the grave that we might have eternal hope in him, not in situation, not in circumstance, not in money, not in resources, not in being a better version of ourselves, but only in Christ. That humiliation included his death. I love the language that leads up to it because it's showing the theme of what Paul's trying to teach. He humbled himself. The cross is the pinnacle demonstration of consider others as more significant than yourself. The way that you and I grow in real humility Real, honest sense of God must become less. I must become more. Others are the priority, not me. Is by reflecting on the reality. Creation, or excuse me, the creator died for the creation. Creation that mocked him, cursed him, and he humbled himself. It was like a choice. No one took his life. He laid it down. And he did so by becoming obedient to the point of death. Obedient, there, there was this plan that he, the Father, the Spirit, they'd always had from eternity past. He knew he was born to die. 
And what does real gospel humility always do? Real gospel humility always produces obedience. But there was one form of obedience none of us could ever do. There was only one path where one king and one Messiah could die. And that obedience led him to death. The amazing part is that last phrase, even death on a cross. Have you ever thought about why Jesus died on a cross? Like here's the truth, he could have died an infinite number of ways. Why choose the cross? I don't know exactly, but I have a lot of really good ideas about it. Like one of the few things that you know is the cross, it was this Roman torture death device that they had perfected over time. It was so looked down upon by Roman citizens, it did not matter if you were a Roman citizen what heinous, evil, atrocious crime you committed. You could not be put to death on a cross. That was for the others. Jews viewed the cross as a form of hanging. To be hung was to be cursed. So they looked at the cross and they despised it. And what came? The Son of Man, I wish we had so much more time. He set his face to Jerusalem. He turned his heart to dying for you. The extreme example of humility. The pinnacle of humiliation. It was what he'd set his heart to do in eternity past. He set his heart toward the cross. This excruciating way, and I don't even have enough time to go through all the pain that it would have taken, the, the exchange of even breathing and how you'd lift yourself up to catch a breath, but then you'd be on the pain of the nails in your hands and in your feet to then come down to where asphyxiation would slowly take you over time. This excruciating form of die where they came and as he's there, like as he's on this cross, the people came who he came to die for and they mocked him. They put a sign over him. Here lies king of the Jews. The sign was true. The hearts were false. We, our sin, killed him. He chose it. He humbled himself. No one took it. It wasn't a surprise to him. If you know the story, when the soldiers came and they got him in the garden, he was in control of every situation at every moment. He is God, a very God. And he came to die for me. And he came to die for you. This last week, as I said, I was in Colorado. I went to a church. One of the things I love doing is going to other local gatherings, just see faithfulness, see how folks get, get after it. I was so encouraged by this pastor there. Right? He, he shared a lot of different things. There was, there was one thing in specific that really stood out to me. There was a story he told that, that I'd never heard. Maybe some of you guys, if you've heard this story or you grew up in church or something like that, maybe you know it. But it was about the passion of the Christ. Anybody, you guys here seen the movie Passion of the Christ? Right? If you haven't seen it, if you're a Christian, I'd highly encourage you to see it. It's essentially Mel Gibson. He made this movie. He produced it, I think, where it's this week-long leading up to really the highlight of the movie is the crucifixion of Christ. And it shows in detail what that would have been like, what it would have been like to watch the humanity of Christ be pulled from his back as he's beaten, he's whipped, and he's mocked. And then there's the moment where Christ, he carries the cross through the city. He can't make it all the way. He gets help. He carries the cross to the mountainside. I'm going to call it Golgotha. He comes there right before Golgotha. And what they do is they lay the cross down on its side. Because what happens, if 
the God-man Jesus Christ has to climb on it. And then it lays it flat because here's what has to happen next. Even death on a cross. He has to cross his feet and then lay his hands as they're pierced. There's this moment, right, like right there in the movie, you've seen all these soldiers, these general characters around them. You've seen how they've kind of betrayed him. They've mocked him. The Jews that have come, they've checked on him. You've watched these narratives of these characters do these things to Jesus. But then it comes to this moment where he's laying there on the cross. And what you don't see is which character did the next part. And it's the part where he lays there. And they pierce his hands and they pierce his feet. They nail him to the cross. What it shows is actually just a hand holding the nail and then the mallet coming, but it's off camera. You can't see the person and who it is. It's off camera. I never knew this. But according to this pastor, supposedly at that moment, upon reflection the night before, Mel Gibson, the producer of the movie, he decided it has to be my hands that hold the nail. Because in that moment, he went, and it's his hands that hold the nail, as he internally reflected on the truth of, I killed him. It was my sin that he had to consider me as more significant. It's my brokenness. And if you know the story of Mel's life, he continued in sin and still does the same way you do and I do. And it's his hands that pierced it. Guys, it was my hands. It was yours that held the nail. It was my deep insecurity in trying to find validation through relationships with females that left scars on my life, scars on theirs. It was my desire to be the life of the party, to finally find happiness and contentment, so I tried to get lost in a bottle. It was an addiction to broken images online where I tried to finally feel like I could be enough, and I never could. It was my selfishness and my tendency to not consider my wife more significant. To not to be long-tempered, gracious, and gentle with my daughter. It was your controlling tendencies in your family where you don't lead, you domineer. It was your habitual alcoholism that you just cloak as like a minor drinking thing, yet there's this strange consistency that even you, there's a check in your heart where you realize this is too much. The apathy that I can approach God with rather than an absolute devotion knowing he died for me. It was our sins that pierced his hand. It was my sin that humiliated him as he was nailed to this cross naked before people, cursing him. And what does the king of kings say? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Father, forgive John. Forgive him. He's going to be so foolish. He's going to be so insecure. He's going to be so broken. He's going to walk in all the wrong ways. He's even going to use my name and he's going to drag it through the mud and confuse people. Forgive him. Forgive her for the controlling tendencies where she remains in this victim mentality for the rest of her life, even though I've given her victory. Forgive her. Forgive him that even though he knows me and he loves me, he has no desire to grow. And because of that, the impact of the generations of his family will feel it. Forgive them. Their salvation for my humiliation. Your and my will be done. 
Church, there's a God in heaven who loves you. He calls us to consider others as more significant than ourselves, and he is the supreme example of it. He embraced humiliation. Why? That we might know real, lasting salvation, that we might have an abundant life to where we're not marked by spiritual insecurity, but deep intimacy with the Father, with the Son, with the Spirit. He has come to set free. And freedom is found in humility. Let me pray that we would do that, and then we'll get out of here. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word, just the reality of it and what it does in our lives as we call ourselves to consider others more significant. Would you help us to do that? Would you help me to do that? I want to be a man who's marked by real humility, not faked, but integrity. Would you break hearts today as you humble them? In the areas of our pride, may we confess, may we repent, may we walk in newness, may we ask forgiveness. But may we really be a people who because of humility know absolute joyful unity. We need your help to do that. We thank you so much that you died for us. It's in your name that we pray, amen. Well guys, hey. Thank y'all for coming and spending time with us. If you want to stick around and ask questions about any of the financial update or anything like that from before, you're welcome to. But for those of you that don't, y'all go. Have a great week of worship. We'll see you next Sunday.